if people are being perceived as threatening or impeding your own basic psychological needs, even this is totally unconscious, someone's not feeling like they're respecting me, they're listening to me, they're micromanaging me, they don't trust me, that kind of stuff, that quickly breaks down trust. And when you break down trust, conflict is a natural consequence of trust breakdown. So what we have to do is come in, figure out what's going on, some of those sort of presenting issues, and then also what's happening in the culture that's allowing this issue to emerge in the first place. Why isn't this being nipped in the bud right off the bat or very quickly when it's being recognized? Why are people burying their head in the sand? Why is this culture allowing this kind of thing to emerge? So we kind of look at it from a two-pronged approach, and we have to help build trust again between the individuals involved. And we also have to build trust between the individuals and the system in which they're operating. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hey, everybody that listens to Superhumans at Work, know that all of these episodes are recorded with a live studio audience. Mind Valley members get a chance to join these sessions with the author themselves while we record these sessions. And at the end of every show, they actually get to participate in a Q&A session as well. If ever you're interested in joining Mind Valley All Access and become a member yourself, you'll get access to all the incredible courses from Mind Valley and so much more to be involved with Superhumans at Work, the Mind Valley podcast, and all the other incredible features when you become a member. We are disrupting the way that education works for the 21st century and we want you to be a part of it. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman so you can learn more about this incredible offer, which will cost you less than $2 a day. That's mindvalley.com forward slash S-U-P-E-R-H-U-M-A-N. Now, let's get started with the show. Hey, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. Today, we're going to talk about something that if you're not working alone, which all of us need to deal with, whether it's colleagues, bosses, clients, we're all going to work with other people. And if that's the case, conflict might become a part of your day. Now, can we be more effective at resolving these conflicts? Do we even need to live with them? And are they even a sign of something that's good or bad? I want to challenge a lot of these ideas around conflict and conflict resolution, which is why I have Jeremy Polak here, who is the founder and CEO of Polak Peace Building Systems, and also the author of the book about conflict resolution playbook, practical communication skills for preventing, managing, and resolving conflict. He has been an amazing speaker and a trainer working with big corporations around the world, ensuring that conflict is not something that holds the progress back. He has been a research fellow at the Stanford Center of International Conflict and Negotiation, holds two master's degrees in both negotiation, conflict resolution, peace building, and evolutionary anthropology. Curious to see how those two blends into the work we'll discuss today. And this is a hell of an episode where we're going to talk about things that are personally very relevant to me because I know I have some family members that deal with a lot of conflict in the workplace. I'm hoping I'll be able to shed some light for them. So Tracy, if you're listening in, this one will be for you. Jeremy, welcome to the call. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. A lot of us have changed the way that we work. We now have a lot more people working remotely. And I was just going to start off with a bit of an assessment of our times, which is what are we seeing in the world of conflict while a lot of us are now working remotely? Has this been a positive or negative impact when it comes to conflict in the workplace? Well, you know, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, every organization is different. What I see is that culture carries over regardless of being remote or not. If things were sort of, you know, a little bit messy, a little bit conflict 
written in the actual workplace, a lot of times that carries over to virtual. What I will say is some of the clients that I've worked with, and this is anecdotal, I haven't seen the research on it if there is some, but you know, some of the clients I've worked with feel that they have less stress, less tension now that they're not sort of in someone's face all day long. They're not working right next to people and they have a little bit of their own sort of self-time during the day. So now where they used to have to interact on a regular basis every hour throughout the day, now they're able to just interact with certain people, especially people that they were having problems with, maybe, you know, emails throughout the day, that sort of thing. So stress levels are a little bit down. It's always more difficult to have effective communication when your stress level is high and you're in a defense mode. When people are working remotely and their stress levels are a little bit lower relevant to their workplace, I mean, some people's stress is high because of COVID, but relevant to your workplace, it's a little bit easier to navigate some of these communications. So Jeremy, I'm curious to know the fact that your organization calls peace building systems makes me think that conflict resolution within the companies that you work with must be quite intense. So can you tell us a bit more about like, when do companies bring you in and what is the type of work that you end up doing with them? A lot of companies try their best to manage conflict on their own. I will say that the ones that we work with a lot of times from a conflict resolution perspective, we have different types of services. So one service we do is conflict resolution or what we call our peacemaking or peace building services. At that point, it's usually companies who have tried to manage it or who have just tried to avoid it a little bit, tried to ignore it. It's gotten to the point where they can't ignore it any longer and someone's about to either be let go or potentially quit and there's going to be a lawsuit or something like that. So before it goes into that sort of legal adjudication realm or having to go to HR and let someone go, they want to bring someone in that has some expertise that can maybe help navigate the relationship and hopefully smooth it out. On the training side, we do a lot of training too. And so sometimes organizations maybe see some general things that are going on. They foresee some stuff in the future that could happen in terms of conflict. So they bring us in and say, we want to learn some skills. We want to have our staff or our leadership learn some skills to be able to better manage or prevent conflict. There's a little bit of foresight there, but the ones that we get brought in urgently, they're on the verge. There's going to be a lawsuit or there's going to be a very valuable person that has to be replaced. And that's tough and it's expensive. So that's typically what we get brought in before they go that route. Yeah, I would say like some of the people actually are doing the preventative route versus the reactive route. And so in the case of the reaction Absolutely. type of situation, is this a case of just there's certain types of people that try to create conflict? Is it because we lack training in how to de-escalate situations? By the time it gets to that kind of situation, what typically is the problem that happened in the first place? Well, I mean, I don't know that there is anything that's typical in terms of sort of the presenting issue. What I will say, though, is a lot of times what's happening is human beings have basic psychological needs. I tend to focus on a few of them, essentially identity, safety, care, and stimulation, growth are kind of secondary, but identity, care, and safety are the ones that I really tend to focus on. And a lot of times people feel that they are not being properly cared for, recognized, respected, or heard by the people that they work with or the people that they work for. They don't feel like they have a voice. They don't feel like they have impact. They're experiencing some issues. There either isn't a forum for them to express what they're going through and to get something done about it, or they have expressed it and they don't see any progress. They don't see anybody believing. They don't feel like they, anyone believes them, anyone's on their side or anything like that. Sometimes they feel very alone. So a lot of times it's some sort of mechanism by which some individuals or both or everyone involved 
are not feeling heard by each other. And there's a feeling of recognition that's lacking, a feeling of, I don't have impact here. Some of my agency is being taken away. I don't have control over my environment, my situation. So that will lead to a very quick breakdown of trust. If people are being perceived as threatening or impeding your own basic psychological needs, even this is totally unconscious, someone's not feeling like they're respecting me, they're listening to me, they're micromanaging me, they don't trust me, that kind of stuff, that quickly breaks down trust. And when you break down trust, conflict is a natural consequence of trust breakdown. So what we have to do is come in, figure out what's going on, some of the sort of presenting issues, and then also what's happening in the culture that's allowing this issue to emerge in the first place. Why isn't this being nipped in the bud right off the bat or very quickly when it's being recognized? Why are people burying their head in the sand? Why is this culture allowing this kind of thing to emerge? So we kind of look at it from a two-pronged approach, and we have to help build trust again between the individuals involved. And we also have to build trust between the individuals and the system in which they're operating. It's really about trust building. I'd be curious to know, since we always have a live audience listening to these podcasts, for those who are tuning in, I'd love to know if being heard is an issue for you in the workplace. And if you're just listening on the podcast, of course, you can join these live calls by going to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. But just by yourself, think here, if this issue is something that you have to face with, do you feel like you're being heard? Do you feel like your agency is still yours within where you work? And if not, then we're going to continue this conversation, find a bit more solutions to that. But I'd be curious, actually, before that is, Jeremy, like, this is a very specialized field of work. I'd be curious to know like, what led you into going to work directly with that and getting you so passionate to write a book about it and to really try to solve this within the workplaces? Well, I started off years ago as a coach. Before I was a personal coach, I was in martial arts for a long time. And so I did a lot of training and I was an instructor and I owned a martial arts academy. And I got very interested in this idea of like, what gets people into conflict? And I was dealing a lot with physical conflicts. You know, when I started doing personal coaching, just uh, personal development coaching, for some of my students, I got really interested in, okay, so people are having a lot of conflict, not that's physical, but just interpersonal conflict, communication conflicts. And so I thought, well, how do I study this more? How do I understand this better? So I went back to school and started studying evolutionary psychology because it's sort of the foundation of uh, group cooperation, group conflict. And I was really interested in how groups interact. And then also how do I study some individual stuff and some more applied theory in this field? And so I went back for my master's in conflict resolution and peace building. And that helped me gain some understanding of how interpersonal communication acts. From there, I kind of launched a company. What I found was the people that were coming to me were mostly organizations because that's where people spend so much of their time. That's where people are willing to spend money to figure out some of their problems. In the interpersonal family dynamic, there's a lot of other types of companies that do that. There's nonprofits, there's personal counselors, therapists, et cetera. And it just seemed like conflict resolution in the workplace specifically as holding that as a specialty really was lacking in the market. I thought, you know, let's really just focus on organizational conflict. How do we help people that are working together get along better? Because it creates so much stress for people when they have to work in a stressful situation and it bleeds into their lives. It makes the organization perform less well. And so all kinds of things happen. I just thought that that was somewhere we could really make an impact is to help people at work because I saw some lack in the industry. And so we started filling a gap there. 
That's awesome, Jeremy. Well, thanks for the work you do. You know, I'm thinking about some of the students we have, such as Hillary, always wants to speak up, but feels like they could be bullied in the process. So I want mm -hmm. to get a bit into the tactics of what happens when there is a conflict that arises. You talked a lot about trust. What are some of the steps you teach for in the moment of, let's not look at the preventative here, let's talk about the time where a conflict does arise, or there is an existing conflict. What are some of the basics we can start looking at so we can step forward and try to resolve that? If you're noticing that you're having a problem with someone at work or something at work and you want to address it in some way. Now, number one, if the culture at work doesn't provide for some forum for you to do that, for you to speak up, for you to give some feedback that you could actually have an impact and get your voice heard there, that's something that I think has to happen Ultimately, it may take some time if coworkers come together and kind of say, yeah, we believe that this is important, come to leadership. Leadership has to make some decisions about how they transform the culture and give people a sort of psychologically safe place to be heard and to figure out what kind of mechanisms are appropriate for that culture to manage conflict, to take people's input, make some change and that sort of thing. So I think that's important on an immediate level on an interpersonal level. If you're noticing you're having some conflicts, Number one, I would say, can you do as much analysis on yourself as possible first before you approach someone? So you're really, really clear on what's going on for you. The way that I look at conflict, and I think a lot of conflict resolution practitioners look at conflict through the lens of human needs theory. And again, I'm referenced back to these ideas, these basic six psychological human needs. There's stimulation, growth, identity, autonomy, care, and safety. And these basic core needs that all human beings have, at least in our culture, is which of those needs do you feel are being threatened in some way? So you might say like, I'm a problem because my boss won't listen to me or my boss is micromanaging me. If you dig underneath of just like sort of the surface level issue, what's triggering me? What's really bothering me? I feel like he's micromanaging me. I feel like my autonomy is being threatened. In other words, my sense of agency, my sense of being able to control my own work style or work environment. And that's a basic need that needs to be addressed. If you get real clear on what is my basic need, what is the need that I have? Instead of the thing that I want or the thing that I think I want, what is the basic need that I have that's being threatened or impeded in some way? I can take that and I can give some feedback in a constructive way. There needs to be a safe place for you to bring this up. But even if you have a boss who's tough to talk to, if you could schedule some time with him or her and you could sit down and say, listen, you know, you can be really honest, vulnerable with them and say, I'm having some issues. You could start with a positive, come up with some values that that person has, things that you think are really great or things that you appreciate about them. And you can start with that. So you lower the defense a little bit. Listen, you're such a great leader. You have such amazing expertise in this area. And I really want to learn more from you and I want to work well with you. And I'll be honest, I'm having some difficulties right now. You've seen these before because we've talked about them a little bit, but I really wanted to address it. And this is awkward for me because I really do respect you. But I just wanted to throw this out there that I'm starting to feel like you want to make sure, like, depending on who they are and what your relationship is with you, you don't want to put them on the defense. So if you say you're micromanaging me, that's kind of a judgment, even though that's what it's happening or you feel like it's happening, that's sort of a judgment. And we want to be as non-judgmental as possible so that someone's willing to hear you because the minute you start judging someone, attributing something to their character, like they did something bad or wrong, they're going to go on defense mode. I would just say, I'm starting to feel like I'm not getting as much autonomy as I would like to. And I do believe that I'm competent enough to do some of these tasks without so much direction. And I'm just wondering if you think that too, or do you think that I still need as much direction as I'm getting? 
So you ask a question that you open up a conversation. So instead of telling someone you did something wrong, you are a bad person or you're a wrong person or you're a micromanager or you can't be trusted or whatever the thing is, instead of judging them, you tell them what's going on for you, what your experience is, and then open up a conversation and let them be a part of that. Collaborate with them in the solution. Otherwise, if you don't collaborate, if you just say, this is what's going on, this is why you're wrong, this is why you're bad, this is what you did wrong, they're going on defense and they don't want to hear it. Do we underestimate the power of that communication? Like how much attention to care to that communication needs to be? Because I know there's modalities like nonviolent communication, like NVC, and there's a lot of effort. And even in the language that you're using, I'm seeing you're using it a lot in the first person, how you feel so that it's not something you can judge. How much effort should we be putting into the specific ways that we communicate to solve these conflicts? I think a lot. I think the way that you phrase something will make all the difference in whether their defense goes up. And if someone's defense goes up, that means what's happening is they're at that point, someone's defense goes up, they're now perceiving you as a threat to their psychological needs. And it's just an unconscious perception, but it happens. And what happens anytime that we feel that our needs are being threatened, whether they're physical or psychological needs, walls go up, fight or flight response, acute stress response, adrenaline, fear, anger, all that kind of stuff. And then it kills the ability to have an effective communication. So in those interactions, if you can phrase things as much as possible on yourself, on saying, you know, I'm feeling this way. And if you have to say something about the other person, if you have to say you, try your best not to make a judgment, try your best not to say you did this wrong, or you did this bad, only reflect on the behavior that you saw. So in other words, you could say, and be very specific. So if someone's micromanaging you, for instance, be very specific about the behavior. Why do you feel like you're micromanaging you? Well, yesterday I wrote an email and CC'd my boss. My boss came in and said, I want you to rewrite this email this way. And he put words onto the thing or some words into my mouth or on my email. He says, write it this way and send it to you. He doesn't even trust me to write my own emails or something like that, right? So there's this behavior, which is he's coming in and telling you how to rewrite the email. And the interpretation on that behavior that you're making is he doesn't trust me. He wants to micromanage me. I can't be trusted, apparently, like all kinds of meanings and interpretations. And so when you talk to this individual about it, try to separate out the behaviors that you're witnessing from the meanings and interpretations that you've placed on it. And so when you come into the person, you can say, when you asked me yesterday, to rewrite the email based on yours, I interpreted that as, or it seemed to me that you don't trust me, or I interpreted it as that you don't think I'm competent enough to something like that. So you're really making it clear that you're making an interpretation here. I'm not just coming in and saying, you obviously don't trust me because you told me to do this. I'm not saying that. I'm saying when you did that, I interpreted it as, or it felt to me like, or it seemed to mean that. So you're not making a, just an automatic assumption about what the intention was. Now, he might have had some completely different intention. He might have not even understood why he did it. And then you open up a space to collaborate, to actually hear him out and say, so why did you do that? Do you trust me? You can ask someone, like, if you know what the thing is that's affecting you, I feel like he doesn't trust me. You can just straight up ask him, when you do this, it seems to me like you don't trust me. Do you trust me? And try to get the reassurance because that opens up a space for reinterpretation, reinterpreting something. 
one of my big things is behavior from interpretation. Can you separate out the behaviors you're witnessing from someone from the interpretations you're placing on them? And then that way, if you can, you can go to them and say, here's some of the stuff that I see that's happening, behavior that you're doing without any judgment about it. And here's how I'm interpreting it. And then you can ask for reinterpretation. You can ask for reassurance. When you asked me to read you my email, I interpreted it as you don't trust me. And that makes me feel like I don't have enough agency or I don't have enough competence or something. And I'm just wondering, do you think I'm competent? Do you really trust me? And if they say, yeah, of course I trust you. I just did this because of this. Okay. Can we come up with a way of doing that in the future? That's a little bit different. Is there another way we can do that? I understand your concerns. I've now told you what mine are. Is there another way we can go about this? Because it's triggering me something that doesn't feel very good, you know? So, you know, it's funny because for one, I think this is genius advice and I can see its applications and I'm sure other people can probably notice this application in other realms beyond the workplace, such as personal relationships, romantic relationships, et cetera. But there's something that just keeps coming to mind that I find is interesting is in the workplace, you know, I love how you phrase it, that when we turn around and we go to, let's say a supervisor or colleague and we're like, Hey, you did this. That's our default response, which puts them on the defensive, right? Yep. And there's this whole concept of feeling like we have permission to do that. And we revert to being like kids saying like, well, they started it first. <laughs> it almost feels like we've become these children when we're emotional and we feel attacked in the workplace. So how do we diffuse that for somebody who's listening to this advice and saying like, well, they started it first. Can we diffuse that? Is that a common issue that comes up? Okay. So there's a very interesting mental heuristic or a mental bias that's called the fundamental attribution error. I don't know how many people have taught, right? So this is something that we talk about a lot in conflict, which is the fundamental attribution error or the fundamental attribution bias. It's a mental shortcut that happens in the mind. And it's very well studied. They've done tons of research on it, showing how the mind works, all kinds of cross-cultural research. And basically what happens is when someone does something that we don't like, we tend to attribute that thing to their character as opposed to assuming it's because of the situation. And if we were to do that thing, or if we did something that other people don't like, or we don't think is in line with like our normal behavior, we tend to attribute it to the situation. We don't attribute it to our own character. We try to keep our coherent sense of identity without messing that up. So if we become aware of this very common error that the mind makes, can we give people the benefit of the doubt? Can we not assume, make judgments, make leaps to saying they do this thing or they're doing this thing or they did that thing because it's something about their character because they're a bad person. They're an evil person. They're out to get me. They're trying to challenge me. They're trying to trick me. They're trying to catch me doing something wrong. Can you take that assumption out and leave it open? This is this space where there's availability to talk to someone and get their interpretation. And it's okay to tell them, here's how I'm interpreting it, because that way they understand what their behavior is doing, how it's affecting you. But it's different than saying, you're a bad person because you did this. That's different because then their defenses go up and go, you know, bull, I'm not a bad person, but they can own up to the behavior. If you say you did do this and they say, yeah, I did do that. And you said, so when you did that, I interpret it as this way, or it seemed to me that it meant this. And then they can go, oh, okay, this has happened to me like at work, you know, with my employees where I did something and I wasn't real clear about my intention behind what I did it. And I thought I was, but I wasn't. And someone said, well, when you did this and I came out like weeks later, what they thought the reason that I did it. And I went, oh my God, I'm like, 
because I'll own up to the thing I did. I did say that, or I did you know, write that email or something, but I completely have to reinterpret this. Like that is not the reason that I did it. The actual reason was this. And I had to reassure, you know what? I actually do value you so much. It had nothing to do with that actually. So I had to really clear things up, but it was so obvious that that was what needed to be cleared up. They made an interpretation or an inference from the behavior that I did. And my intention behind it was completely different from what they thought it was. And that needed to be cleared up. So owning up to the behavior. So if someone brings it to you, for instance, and says, hey, you did this and you're a bad person and that can, can you on the other side of that separate the behavior that that person is talking about from the interpretation that they're placing on it? So instead of you getting defensive and triggered by someone saying you're evil, you're wrong, blah, blah, blah. You could, in your own mind, try to do some analysis and go, wait a minute, what's the thing they're talking about that I did or said? And what's the interpretation or meaning that they placed on it? I can own up to my behavior. I did say that. I did send that email. You're right. But I don't have to own up to the interpretation that someone placed on it. I can reinterpret it for them. And even more importantly, or just, I would say, as importantly as reinterpreting, reassuring them. So if they said, you know, you changed some of my job duties. And I thought that's because you're trying to like position me out of this position, or maybe you don't value me as much anymore. You could say, first of all, I changed it because I saw an opening that I thought you would be great at. And the reason I did that is not because I don't value. I actually value you so incredibly. And you were the only person I thought could actually handle that sort of thing. Right. So like, not only am I going to reinterpret my intention behind what I did, I'm also going to do my best to reassure that person, whatever the thing is that they were triggered about, whether they felt undervalued or they didn't feel heard, or they didn't feel like I could trust them or something like that. I do trust you. I do value you. I absolutely want to hear you. And I apologize if I didn't make that clear, right? So I'm going to own up to my part of it and then try to reinterpret and reassure. These sort of simple things of separating behavior from interpretation, owning a behavior and reinterpreting and reassure. Those are things that I train a lot on. And I think it's super important because I've used it several times in my own personal and professional life and it's worked wonders. Jeremy, thank you for coming here and sharing this. This is brilliant and I think is a breath of fresh air for a lot of people who might be feeling the stress of any conflict right now. And I love that at the end of the day, we can all take personal responsibility for the things that are happening within our workplace. And as a recap for people tuning in, we talked about how you need to go back to the basics. Whenever there's a conflict, you got to look within the other person or within yourself as to what is being triggered. Is it the identity, the safety, the care, the autonomy, the growth, or the stimulation, which are the core basic needs that Jeremy has outlined here, that when one of those are compromised, this usually will bring us into more of a fight or flight response tensions escalate and conflict can arise. If you're trying to resolve this conflict and you're communicating with the person that has caused this, whether it's a colleague or a boss, remember how important the communication piece is, how you need to put attention and care in the way you communicate with more specifically separating the behavior and your interpretation. The way we interpret things with assumptions is usually going to be the source of a lot of conflicts that happen within the workplace. And if you are the person that somebody comes to and says that you have done certain thing which has caused them to interpret it a certain way, you can own up to your own behavior as well and use a more 
conscious way of settling this conflict and not taking it so personally because we're all meaning-making machines as human beings. And in the workplace, particularly in a space where we're all separate, we're all interpreting written words, which has much less communication than when we're face-to-face, we often fill in the blanks with all of our interpretations, which can lead to conflicts that just having that conversation really would be able to solve it. There's so much more that you can do within this topic, but you have some very powerful things that you can get started with. If you're curious about the topic and you want to learn more with Jeremy Polak, make sure you pick up his book, Conflict Resolution Playbook, Practical Communication Skills for Preventing, Managing, and Resolving Conflict. We're going to continue with our Mind Valley Tribe to answer some questions, maybe more relevant to culture. Of course, if you want access to the video recordings of these podcasts and be part of the live conversation, go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, and you can be part of the Mind Valley membership where we go even deeper. But for those of you listening to the podcast and Jeremy, once again, thank you so much for tuning in. And of course, stay superhuman. Once again, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Superhumans at Work. I'm very grateful for all of you who tune in on a regular basis, listening to these amazing interviews with these guests that I get to find. Now, if you're subscribed to the show, definitely leave us a review if you can and share it with friends so that we can spread the message and get more people to be able to learn of these fantastic ideas that they can bring in their everyday life. And these episodes, of course, are brought to you by Mindvalley. When you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, you get to discover the transformational education that we get to deliver where we bring the best technology, the best teachers, and ensure that it teaches you what leads to a truly incredible life. Thanks again for tuning in and watching the show. And until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast.